0: And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong's Don Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so. Be it through 103.7 thegamecom Game.com, the free 103.7 The Game mobile app, and all the great podcast gimmicks out there. Let's waste a little time and get into the three count. And we got to start things off with some sad news with Road Dog currently hospitalized, and his wife Tracy made the announcement Saturday on Facebook saying, quote, Brian most likely suffered a heart attack late Thursday night after returning from Orlando. He had his test run and we're currently waiting for the results. James also noted that Road Dog has seen a kidney specialist and is set to undergo a stress test. James also added that her husband, quote, feels horrible, and obviously in recent years been more of a guy behind the scenes for WWE, more recently part of the NXT, the black and yellow brand, really kind of getting the next generation of stars ready to go. Other big thing is, Is the end of an era for the Thunderdome, potentially coming to an end in the month of August. WDB already officially announced earlier this week that the Thunderdome is moving to the Yingling Center in Tampa, Florida. This already was kind of reported widely amongst a lot of people like Fightful and Uncle Dave. We'll get to Uncle Dave in a minute. But the first show in the Yingling Center, which is going to be the South Florida Bulls Arena, is going to be the first show Is going to be on April 12th, the post-WrestleMania episode Of Raw and their Specter Wrap their current residency at the Rays Stadium, I believe this week. If I'm not mistaken, I think the Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays, should be out. Should be at home to start the season. If I'm not mistaken, no, they're actually on the road to start the season. They'll be taking on the Miami Marlins and the Boston Red Sox. They'll be back in the arena for how about this WrestleMania weekend, Friday, April 9th through the twelfth through the eleventh, I should say, with a series against the New York Yankees. So that's something to look forward to, I guess, if you're not a wrestling fan yet. Some sports going on. That's always a good thing. After all, we are is number one sports station. But according to Yingling Center's website, it looks like the WB is initially, keyword initially, scheduled to be there until Tuesday, August third. This will make a Monday, August 2nd edition of Raw, the last show there. And it's interesting to see what that means. Could they be getting ready to be on the road on the Friday for SmackDown? Any, it, it could be anybody's guess. To be honest, about what could happen, because again, the WB has mentioned outright they are not planning on doing any shows until like possibly the second half of the year, maybe even into Q three. And according to them, the first half of the half of the year, they are not going to be doing live shows. And eventually they'll kind of bring those back slowly, but surely. Probably not any more house shows, so probably the Cage Dome may have had its last breath as a wrestling haven, at least for WWE, AEW, holla at your boy. Then we get to one final bit of news in the three count with Daga reportedly could be part of AEW, the the former AAA World Cruiserweight Champion, currently signed to the promotion, could very well be in the company's crosshairs, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. According to Uncle Dave, there is some rumor about this, and also, you know, potentially Tessa Blanchard as well. Because both those two have stayed home for most of 2020 due to the pandemic, and he was released late in 2020. Meanwhile, Tessa was released not long after no-showing some tapings, and then they had to determine a new Impact Wrestling World Champion. After kind of giving her everything, yeah, it's going to be a tough sell to bring her in because there's a lot of negativity and backlash surrounding her. And let's be honest, if you don't hire somebody like Marty Skrull and you kind of let you, you separate yourself from somebody like a Jimmy Havoc and you have Sammy Guevara go through sensitivity training, I guess you could say, and suspend him definitely for the statements he made and was all kind of let out during this speaking out movement from last year, I think Tessa might kind of good luck, God bless, if you will. With her. But again, hell of a talent, but maybe a little bit too much toxicity, at least in my point of view. I'll get to some quick thoughts right now about ROH's 19th anniversary. He was a damn good show, by the way. Probably one of the best ROH shows I've seen in a while. I think they're starting to kind of hit their stride in terms of booking. Final Battle was a really good show, but this kind of built upon itself and also kind of followed up some of the fallout from that show. Because if you remember, it ended the show with LFI, La Faction Ingorbanables, I'll just call them LFI going forward, and the Foundation. Both those two factions have been kind of warring. And now we get to see essentially you have a bunch of matches within it, but every title had the Foundation or an LFI involved in it. Every match, with the exception of the pure title. But that alone, it's just really cool stuff. And the fact you were able to tell a story throughout an entire. I'd say around about three hours show, and it was a really solidly booked show. I think maybe the worst match in the card, at least to me, was probably Flip Gordon Mark Briscoe, and I can't. It's just the fact that Flip Gordon won. I didn't like that. But again, fine match, very quick, easy, and of course, it's putting over Flip Gordon because eventually he's going to have a world title shot. And so help me God, he wins the world title. I'm just going to puke and probably give up in Ring of Honor. Please don't do this to us. Don't give us this complete just horses ass. Don't give him a title. Please, for the love of God. Meanwhile, the rest of the card was really solid. Tracy Williams opened the match with a really good TV title contest, beating Kenny King relatively easily. Then we get to Dalton Castle, beat Josh Woods. Surprise there, but I think it's all about getting to the end of two guys, one tag. That's Josh Woods and Silas Young, because I think that's where this whole thing is going. But really solid match between these two. Then we get to Jay Briscoe, EC3. First off, EC3 looks absolutely yoked, like to the gills, yoked. Really good stuff here. Enjoyed that entire just matchup between those two. I was looking forward to it back when they had, you know, the match built up before final battle. Then he actually got hurt. Uh, No, excuse me. EC3 had COVID, so the match got called off and he looked absolutely jacked in a really solid match between these two and just slap and so damn good and lived up to the hype that was built up for months before it. And Jay Briscoe got the win after shaking EC3's hands, hand excuse me, and then hit the Jay Driller. Match of the night so far, and they showed respect to each other. So that was just like the story that was being told throughout was absolutely perfect. Then we get a little bonus match, kind of some fallout from the six man title match for the ROH tag team titles, which again, really good stuff the, between them and Shane Taylor promotions. Felt like a lot like their TV taping match that saw Shane Taylor promotions win the titles, but still good. And the fact that we got to see your typical flippy fest. This was exactly what you'd want in terms of like a really good cruiserweight match. Flamita impressed me a lot. Had some major hops in some of the bumps, some of the spots. But one thing I didn't like, and it's something I think I'm starting to just hate in wrestling in general, is sometimes the overly complicated spots that really do nothing to the match overall. And it's the dual handsprings of the center of the ring. It's probably the worst thing in wrestling. I'd rather never see it again. Looks cool, but what's the point? Like, it does nothing for the actual in-ring competition. I'd much rather be completely gone from wrestling. Especially when it doesn't like lead to anything, it's just oh hey, here we're standing here. It's like why did you have to do that? I'd get it if like you're gonna go ahead and and tease something really cool, like a spot after that, like like back whenever you saw you know, when you see Ricochet do it, at least it looks cool and it has a point. But if you're just doing the double hand springs to the center and nothing happens after that, it's like okay, what the hell? They had a really good triple down spot though. All three of them basically hit each other, all went down. That looked really good. And this needed a hot crowd desperately because I felt like this could have been like a four-star match if a crowd was into it. This just felt like a three and a quarter to me. It felt like it was getting there. The double hand springs, just something I didn't like. And really good stuff here. Show started to kick up speed at this point. Then we got to the fight without honor match. Kind of cinematic. I don't necessarily think you could call it that. But it had the similarities to it. It was almost like a, a synonym of cinematic wrestling because it had a good match behind it, good camera angles, and it ended very much you scratching your head at the end. It's like, okay, who won here? Was it Matt Taven or Vince? It feels like to me Vince did win since he was the one to leave the wrestling school that they were in, but it was all because some other guy that was a former, I believe it's called Dutch in WWE, not Dutch Mantel, even his name was Bobby Dutch. Some random guy I think it was at NXT for like a cup of coffee. Don't remember a single thing about him, to be honest with you. But, my God, this was a really fun cinematic match. Ended with a swerve and a potential cliffhanger further down the road. Really good stuff. I absolutely loved this. And this is something I was kind of looking forward to, you know, because, again, Matt Taven and Vincent's feud is such, like, pure fodder for this kind of stuff. I wanted it. Jonathan Gresham... Dak Draper for the ROH period championship to me was the match tonight. I know a lot of people over on our Twitter poll at, on, at Cajun Strongstyle, C A J N Strongstyle, went more. Mexico squad triple threat. Aggressive Draper was a close second, though, at 33 and a third percent of the vote. For me, I love that match just a little bit more than the triple threat match. I think it's the fact that there was a really good story being told. The fact you had. Both these guys waste their rope breaks very early on in the contest, told a good story, and these two just went at it for a good while. You know, Dak Draper looked really in control with that one punch that he had that just sent him, knocked the hell out. Good stuff here between these two, and it further proves why Jonathan Gresham was probably the best thing going on in Ring of Honor right now today. And then we get to the ROH World Heavyweight Championship, World Tag Team Championship match, excuse me, we're not to the main event yet. Foundation Tracy Williams Rhett Titus taking on La Faction in Ingobernables. We're going forward. LFI Bestia Del Ring and Kenny King are facing off. Because, again, Dragon Lee was out, so he had to. So he had to get Kenny King fill in for Tracy Williams, which would again create some interesting stories going forward. This was so damn good. Story was being told really well throughout. Tracy Williams comes away with the win, and now he's Tracy two belts. And Kenny King and Bestia del Ring take out Amy Rose after the match. I'd say you know, obviously, New Japan gets a lot more hate for what happened at the most recent show, and it makes sense. But honestly, I didn't need to see another kind of like domestic violence esque type thing happen. Just is a bad look with New Japan. But I'd imagine how much worse of a look it would be if people actually spent time watching Ring of Honor as much as like I do. It was very much like, come on now, why do we have to see this? And Rush and Jay Lethal was a banger of a match as well. Probably something I would say was, and I agree with the poll, it was the third best match of the night, but my god, it's all about the post-match stuff, because you have a new stable with Brody King returning, and now it's going to be Brody King, Tony Deppen, Homicide! And Chris Dickinson in a stable. I was like, oh, my God, this is happening. This is amazing. Holy hell. ROH 19th anniversary was so damn good. And a lot of people loved it. I mean, it was overwhelmingly, like, thumbs up on the post-show poll. And sometimes it can be very divisive. In fact, for what it's worth, I'm going to pull up the, the, the Fastlane review thoughts. Thumbs down, 55% but the other 22.2% went to thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. So combine that, that's 44.4. Would have been a very close race if it was just thumbs up or thumbs down slash thumbs in the middle. Overall, really good show, and it proves why I think, again, ROH is leaning completely into what makes it different from everybody else. And at the end of the day, that's what you need to do if you're a, promotion that's wanting to make some major waves. Also some really good swears and have some really solid matches and really dedicate yourself towards having some great stuff from top to bottom in terms of your booking. And they did a great job on all fronts from here. Now let's get to some questions from the listeners. And I think it's definitely interesting to see how many people are wanting to get in on this. I think we're starting to gain a little bit more of a following and get more listener participation And, of course, you can hit us up, my Twitter, at Clint Domingue, C-L-I-N-T-D-O-M-I-N-G-U-E. Also, hit me up on our official Twitter, at Cajun Strong Style. That's at C-A-J-N Strong Style. Why C-A-J-N? Well, because of the fact that we couldn't put the U in there. It didn't fit the character limit for a name, which absolutely surprised me whenever I put this Twitter account together. Make sure you go check it out. And, hey, if you want to just leave a message privately, up the they are wide open, my friends, so make sure you get in on the action. Meanwhile, let's go ahead and get to some questions. First off, Adam M. writes, Thoughts on MGF in the Pinnacle two weeks in? I got, actually got this call on Saturday on Under the Dome with CD, which you can hear from 11 1, right here on 103.7 The Game. And I got to say, MGF in the Pinnacle two weeks in has been perfect. It's building up towards probably more coming, and I want to see what happens with the Inner Circle Feud. Now, does that end with a potential blood and guts that we've been teased about for a year? Honestly, I would love to see that. Will it happen? I don't know. But again, looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with this because it's going to be so much fun to see this. Really, really good stuff from MGF and the Pinnacle. And I'm loving the fact that we get a really big chicken bleep heel in MGF And he's going to be involved in something like this. He's going to be the leader of the pack. Fantastic stuff. Then we get to Cajun Packer, a regular contributor over on the Twitter machine. With Emily opening day on Thursday, who are some of the wrestlers' favorite baseball teams? Well, I won't bore you with former stars because I can talk to you about an hour about some baseball teams. But I'll go to some guys currently wrestling or still in the business that you might know and also you might not know about their fan base and where their legions lies current WWE figurehead and former national wrestling alliance champion adam pierce used to be a huge cubs fan when he was growing up he was a chicago native so it makes sense but eventually converted into a san diego padres fan actually trying out to be the voice or the pa voice for the friars but got eliminated before the final week of auditions i believe it was like almost like an american idol-esque contest but really cool kofi kingston Big Red Sox fan. Then again, he's from Boston, so he has that you know Celtic pride. He's a big Pat's fan as well. Yeah, and they have to, that's going for him. And no, respect it. Then we get to Seth Rollins. He's a Cubbies fan again. You know, okay, whatever. He's a big Bears fan, so it makes sense. He's a fan of the city. Obviously, not a fan of the White Sox. Coco Bana also a Cubbies fan. Makes sense. He has a move called the Billy Goats Curse for crying out loud. But, yeah, those are some notable names in the sport of professional wrestling. Not just WWE, but AEW. In terms of guys who have their favorite baseball teams. I know he's a, I I believe he's a big, I could be completely wrong here, but I think he may be a Brewers fan. So, yeah, I don't know a whole lot of Brewers fans in pro wrestling. Maybe you'll find some. But some cool stuff. Finally, Dale from New Iberia writes, Is Frankie Thomas the greatest representative of Louisiana indie wrestling going today? I love the question, Dale. Good old friend of the program. He used to call in all the time on the Alan Michaels show. But Dale in New Iberia is dropping in some knowledge about the sport of pro wrestling in the state of Louisiana in particular. Now, obviously, pro wrestling in the state of Louisiana isn't necessarily a thing these days. But it's going to come back soon. I'm looking forward to that. But... I think Frankie Thomas, hell of a hand in the ring, has made waves in the AEW Dark, but the lead of the Bama Club, for me, isn't the greatest representative of Louisiana indie Wrestling Dale. I think the title has to go to Mustang Mike. Great look, has built a really good resume over his career, and I've never really seen a bad match of his. He's done some great stuff with APW, PW225. Can't 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 wait for his match at Pro Wrestling 225's bases Lotus Show coming up in a couple months against Wild Thing, who has definitely changed his attitude a lot with him a big ramp leading the way. But I'm interested to see how things go. Again, can't wait for indie wrestling to come back to the boot. It's been way too long. And I want I want to I think this is one of the goals for the show. Once we kind of get everything back to some form of normal and it probably will never be back to the way it used to be. But honestly, I would love to be able to go ahead and enjoy the sport of professional wrestling. Live in a living color. Maybe even do some live podcast recordings or live podcast shows that never see the lie day, unless you're actually there live. That'd be pretty cool, right? Maybe my dreams are a little bit too big, but then again, that's just the way I think. Let's get to some quick hits involving raw and SmackDown because I've got some pointed thoughts about something else in a little bit. First off, my God, Rhea Ripley taking over Charlotte's spot and mania. Some, I was, kind of surprised about. I was like, okay, Charlotte Flair currently out with COVID, so she will probably won't be able to be ready in time for the show of shows, so it makes sense. But it makes me wonder, is Rhea Ripley just going to be a transitional champion in the purest sense of the word? and we eventually see her lose to Charlotte again? And basically we can see the women's division get emasculated again, all because Charlotte Flair needs to win another women's title. I don't get the point behind it, but I hope that's not what's going to happen. And we see Rhea Ripley beat Oscar in a really good match, and she's able to take down Charlotte. Because I would love to I would love nothing more than to see Charlotte Flair not win another women's title for at least another like couple of years. Because she has won both of those titles at least ten times. I could be completely off base here, but again, she's edging closer to that sixteen time women's champion. And it's almost sad, like Every time I think about that, she has won. I'm gonna go ahead and pull it up right now. For the WWE. Just strictly Divas and SmackDown women's championships. Ten times. Twelve if you count the women's the NXT women's championship. So ten times. She was the last Divas champion. She was the Raw Women's Champion four times. Five times SmackDown women's champion. And she won the NXT tag she won the women's tag team titles a while back. I don't need to see Charlotte Flair hold anybody else down anymore. Give us something new for the love of all that is holy. And speaking of things that are new, I please, I never want to see again some of the crap that WWE has been pulling the last few weeks with graphic gimmicks. It's finally happening again. It feels like it's 2018, and we're talking about all this for the second time. I don't need it. It's... Absolutely absurd. Braun Strowman has trained sounds now when he does his run around the ring spot. You hear the chugga, 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 chugga. Or ooh, ooh. like, I don't need that. I just absolutely do not need that in my life. It makes Braun Strowman look like a complete dumb, dumb. And maybe that's the point of it. All this, but it's so dumb and played out. I, I cannot stand that. But what also I can't stand. I saw this right before. I hit record for the first time because we had a slight malfunction. Had to re-record the entire thing. And I saw this video from Ryan Satin of Fox Sports and it was just absolutely ridiculous. He th- he kicks up his, his flip-flops and all of a sudden birds just start flying across the screen. It's like, what the actual F is going on? This is so dumb. I don't need to see this in my life. It is absurd. And again... It's a lot like what we saw in 2018 with with the text whenever Shinsuke did his entrance and they saw it say, Rockstar. It was like, do we really need that added on to it? God, just please let that go the way of tout. Please. Meanwhile, SmackDown had some better stuff. Daniel Bryan added to the Universal title match at WrestleMania. I don't necessarily like it because it just feels like Daniel Bryan is going to eat the pin on Roman or Edge is going to pin him. I just don't think we're going to see. 2014 Redux with Daniel Bryan winning the title at Mania with the first show without fan with fans in the stands, but it's a capacity crowd. And also, I think you know Daniel Bryan's probably done after Mania. I feel like he's going to go ahead and wrap up and just focus on being being dear old dad for a while. I think that's at least as a, on a full time basis he's going to be done. he would be more of a part time guy. I just feel like it's not going to happen. Meanwhile, last bit of Raw and SmackDown quick hits to kind of really get to is Logan Paul going to be appearing on SmackDown next week. And this is where my frustration levels went to a new high because I do not need to see two celebrities Two, one celebrity. I think it's okay. Bad Bunny seems like he likes wrestling a lot. This is absolutely a cash grab and a half for the WWE going to get somebody like Logan Paul to be there to drive up the buy rates and also make sure people buy their tickets. But why do we need to see him appear on SmackDown next week? Why do we need him involved with the Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens thing? Couldn't you have just done a match with Logan Paul and just set it up randomly? Makes me sick to see this stuff. I I, I love WWE. I've always liked them, especially after WWE died when they the only thing going. But this is instances where I'm like, this sucks. And I hate to see that kind of stuff. It's not just me being like, I'm more of an AEW bias. I'll admit some of that. But at the same time, I want to see WWE do good. I want to see them all do good because guess what? If they're doing really good, that means people are going to want to start tuning in. And spoilers: people aren't wanting to tune in to see this. Drek at WrestleMania. Gronk, fine, cool, whatever. Bad Bunny, great, but we don't need another one. It feels WrestleMania 11 esque. Because you got fans back, you don't need to have freaking you know celebrity guests involved in this. Come on now, like WrestleMania 35, we had Colin Jost and that other cat. From Saturday Night Live, whose name I don't remember, I don't really care. Wait, do we really need those two jabronis to be involved in it? No. Just one celebrity guest per mania, please. For the love of God, I understand it's two nights, but get that dude the hell off my screen. I do not want to. I I'm going to not watch SmackDown next week, just because of how much I cannot stand this ish. Let's get to the catalog of CD now. With Shawn Michaels' WrestleMania matches, the tier list of all tier lists is now getting started. I'm going to into some controversy here. I'm going to go ahead and just rapid fire the first few of them. WrestleMania five, Twin Towers and the Rockers, trash. I, I just couldn't get into it. Orient Express versus the Rockers, WrestleMania six. It was a match. And by the way, the tier list rankings are all-timer, instant classic, legendary, it was a match, which is basically your C ranking. And then D is going to be trash. Minus five stars is the worst of the worst of drizzling you know what's. Then we get to Rockers versus Haku and Barbarian. It was a match. It was fine. Passable. Shawn Michaels, Matador. It was a match. Passable. I just There was no real juice to it to me. Maybe I had to watch some of the build to it. But overall, just it was okay. It was fine. It was good enough. WrestleMania 10, oh, excuse me, WrestleMania 9, Tatanka versus Shawn Michaels, trash, count out finish sucked. Again, I don't like those count out finishes. It's kind of lame, to be honest with you. But really good stuff, nonetheless, from Tatanka and Shawn Michaels. If not for the finish, I probably would have it as it was a match. Now we get to the mean potatoes here WrestleMania 10, Shawn Michaels versus Reyes Ramon, the first televised ladder match, instant Freaking classic! These two brought it and innovated the game a good bit. Really good stuff from start to finish between these two. Diesel versus Shawn Michaels the very next year, at WrestleMania Eleven. I'd say trash. It's a bad match, and it's mainly because Diesel and it just underwhelms. It's not that good. I just and also didn't like the storyline. It was just I could not get into that one, not one bit. And, then, and the fact it's the one of the worst WrestleManias of all time. And to sit through that, yeah. Meanwhile, WrestleMania 12, Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart. It's probably an instant classic to a lot of people. It's legendary for me. It is a tier below. Almost it was a match. And it's because when I watched it the first time ever, I can remember watching it on WWF XS. This is back before the network, back before, you know, WF Classics 24-7, those kind of things. And I didn't have the VHSs or even the DVDs of WrestleMania 12 or whatever. So this is the first time I watched it. I went in blind. Did not like it. I just did not get into this match. It was slow plotting. It's a sixty-minute match, and it just felt like it dragged on for an extra hour. At certain points, it's a good Ironman match, but I think there is a couple better. Brock Lesnar Inkle comes to mind. This is very much a good, but not. Great, outstanding. WrestleMania 14, more of the same. Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin, legendary. More about Steve Austin and kind of setting up his kind of rise to fame and glory. But still a really good match between these two. The fast count kind of takes a knocks off a couple points, but it still belongs in that legendary tier. It's not; it's a classic. It's not like that, but it's still pretty damn good. WrestleMania four, excuse me, WrestleMania 19. Shawn Michaels first Mania back. He takes on Chris Jericho, and these two put on a show. Very well done. Chris Jericho just crushes it in this match. Instant classic for me. That's 20. Shawn Michaels versus Name Redacted versus Triple H for the World Heavyweight title. Instant classic. So damn good start to finish. And yes, you know, it didn't necessarily age well, but damn if that show wasn't entertaining. Then we get to Shawn Michaels. And Kurt Angle, WrestleMania 21, all-timer. It belongs at the top of the list. It's his best mania match at this point in time, and he's going to have, like, three others that are even better. It's just I, so fluid. I was listening to Sean to Kurt Angle talk about on the Kurt Angle pod a while back about him talking about this WrestleMania 21 match, and I absolutely was like, I have to go rewatch this. It's so damn good. And I loved it. So, yeah, good stuff there. Then we get to Shawn Michaels, Vince McMahon, and a street fight WrestleMania 22. It was a match. It was fine. You know, they, I, I like the fact it was a street fight, planted the seeds for the DX reunion, all that stuff. Just wasn't like amazing. It was a spectacle, but like, in terms of the, just the in-ring stuff, it was fine. I, I can't live without it. WrestleMania 24. Excuse me, 23. I'm jumping ahead again. But Shawn Michaels, John Cena, it was a match. It's near legend status. It's very much butting up against that ranking. But at the end of the day, I've got to go with this being it was a match. They had a match on Raw that was so much better than this when they went on tour in Europe. They had an hour-long match that was way better than this. And I was like, that's a big reason why I kind of landed on that. Then we get to Shawn Michaels versus Ric Flair, WrestleMania 24, all-timer. That's it. That's a tweet. You've seen the match many times. It's a match of the year according to a lot of different people, and I can completely understand that. Damn near a five-star classic between those two. Undertaker Shawn Michaels won at WrestleMania 25. Again, all-timer. I can't. Do I need to say any more? It's the greatest WrestleMania match of all time, bar freaking none. This is the best WrestleMania match of all freaking time. Then we get to Undertaker Shawn Michaels' streak versus career, all-timer. It's just below... Undertaker, Shawn Michaels in terms of WrestleMania matches for him and probably all the time. I think, for me, my top three WrestleMania matches are got to be, you know, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, one. I'd say Macho Man, Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat, two. Because I always just loved that match and the build to it was really good. Streak versus Career was great, too. But I think it's just a little bit below that one for me. And maybe it's just kind of the heartstrings of Macho Man, Randy Savage, because I was always a big fan of his growing up. But again, I think that's a good tier list. The only controversy I think is Bret Hart Ironman match. I just doesn't. I that I didn't get into it that much when I watched it the first time. and Watched it again, still wasn't necessarily like, that sold on. It felt like an overrated match that they talk about all the time. Shawn Michaels John Cena, maybe a little bit controversial. I just didn't like it as much as I did with the match they had on Raw like a month later. That was much better. But overall, really good career. And a really good resume. But I feel like it's, whenever we talk about Mr. WrestleMania, it's more about what happened after. From WrestleMania 10 onward. Because he only had like really one like stinker. But people don't talk about it. It's more the revisionist history of the WWE. That kind of crap. But again, really good overall career. Especially at WrestleMania. He was putting on bangers throughout his career. And once he got to WrestleMania 12, he really hit a stride. All right, let's get to AEW Dynamite, and it was a dynamite show. I would say, you know, it was solid throughout. There was a couple nitpicks I'm going to have, and I'm bring those up shortly. But Kenny Omega, Matt Seidel, a really good opener. And interestingly enough, felt like they kind of just rushed everything to begin with because Justin Roberts' intro for Kenny Omega was about like at 78 RPM. If you remember, like, or you have a vinyl player and you put it up at seventy eight RPM, it moves really, really fast, and it's talking fast. That's basically what it felt like Justin Roberts was at a certain point in that intro. But really fun opener here. Kenny had some really good counters. The Super Hurricane was amazing. And Matt Seidel, like, he took that bump like a champ. So damn cool. Then we see a great counter from Omega, where he went, where Sidel went for the Meteor, and he just threw him into the buckle. Kenny Omega wound up winning with the one-winged angel after side out countered it just before that. And then that was about it. It was again, makes sense. And now he doesn't have a title opportunity. It was that AW world title title eliminator match or whatever it was. It was kind of cool. Then we get to, you know, something else I love dark order, Adam page stuff. I like how this is going. It's really cool. Not part of the group formally, but the friendship is moving his character arc forward. He's starting to trust more in people. Maybe eventually he does join the dark order. I like the fact they're doing this, Then Adam page, Quick enhancement match, beating Cesar Bononi. Solid match enough. The Britt Baker cuts a promo. And they put over the person who lost the fight. And I was like, really? This is a really weird hill to die on here, AEW. And they did this. And I was like, okay, I'm interested. But, of course, it's all about basically putting her over because she was an absolute badass. Imagine if Mick Foley had a backstage segment or something like this. After getting thrown off the cell and you have, like, Vince McMahon or, or, or J.R. Jim Ross here, and he goes ahead and puts over this whole thing. It's like, do we really need to have him do that? Couldn't we have just like had him not be on the show the next week and have, have a week off? But no, it's all about basically putting her over in the eyes of the fan base, which, again, is what it is. I get she's a heel, but it makes Thunder Rosa kind of look just like a dummy in the wind because she didn't respond to all this. I get she's a part of the National Wrestling Alliance, and they started back up. So they kind of put a damper on what was an amazing blow-off to a feud. And it feels like they're almost like, hey, this was really good. Let's run it back again. And it's like, no, that's how the feud was supposed to end. Very just frustrating to me. Then we get to a six-man tag, FTR, Sean Spears, versus Hollywood Blondes, and Dante Martin. Typical FTR match. Great thing. FTR and Sean Spears go over. After the match, Wardlow beats up Brian Pillman Jr. Kind of a botchy move. Really weird great touch mgf promo was solid as well continues to run down the group then qt marshall cuts a promo on aew and says he's getting frustrated that he's only known for being cody's friend he challenged cody to an exhibition to prove that he belongs love the promo work here by qt because he was actually and again it's something about like heels and i've noticed it more and more as i get older the heels make sense like they're the ones that are trying to explain why they feel this certain way and they explain it extremely freaking well and this was again phenomenal stuff here from QT Marshall then Cody comes out with a sling and says he'll gladly, gladly accommodate and Anderson will be the ref for the match and I'm just going to throw it out there I feel like Cody Rhodes is going to turn heel sooner or later I don't have any sources I haven't read any rumors or, or rag sheets observe this brother Rhodes is turning heel sooner or later. And I feel like it's probably going to be in the next few weeks. Or by double or nothing, I wouldn't be surprised if he turns complete heel. Because it just feels like that's the direction they're going. Young Bucks and Brandon Cutler in a trios match against Lucha Bros and Laredo Kid. Who, boy, this was a fantastic match. And of course, you know, it was all about basically Brandon Cutler taking the pin from Laredo Kid. He's, and the best part is nobody inter, integral towards the stories ate a pin. He's well no Penta can't afford to lose two weeks in a row after the whole Cody fiasco, which I'm still frustrated about. Kenny Omega then attacked the little kid after the match and tried to get one more two sweep from the Bucks, but nothing doing. After Matt and Nick leave, Omega just basically eats a massive super kick from Penta El Cerro Miedo. And he's bleeding from the mouth as they go to break. Nice touch. Ty Conte is such a m- much more improved wrestler, and she had a really good match with Nala Rose getting over. And people bring up how AEW signs all these former WWE guys, obviously more familiar guys, like, oh, lol, they're just going to get these AEW guys and make them just be like TNA or WCW, blah, 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 Yeah, they got somebody who was within their system and looked great there, but she was able to kind of, like, further enhance herself. It's almost like a finishing school, if you will, with QT Marshall and the Nightmare family. She did a bang-up job here. I like the fact they're kind of having Dark Order. want her to be an honorary member now because, obviously, Anna Jay is her friend, so why not try and get her in there? Really good stuff. But then, after the match, Nyla tried to get her heat back, and but Hikaru Shida ran interference, and then the bunny runs in and wrecks shop. So, presumably, the Hardy the Hardy family, Hardy front office is what they call it, the HFO, and whatever they're doing with Nyla, Vicky, Rebel, Britt Baker, kind of fuses together, I guess. Color me intrigued, though. I'm interested to see how that whole thing goes. Then we saw a great video package on Scorpio Sky. I like the fact they're all tying together the whole, you know, face the revolution ladder match that he won. Really established him as a real, legit star in the future. And somebody who's going to be one of those top-level heels to combat somebody like a Darby Allin or even, you know, a John Moxley to a certain extent, somebody. I think like he could very well be in the next like 12 months if he continues this ascension, he could be a guy that's going to be a contender for a championship and not look like a guy that just is getting one. Then we get to the main event of the night, John Silver versus Darby Allin. Love the story where Darby Allin was wanting to give the Dark Order to, an opportunity to take back what was once theirs with Brody Lee's TNT title. Silver and Allen may look small in terms of stature, but Silver, I, just, I mean, Silver's a short guy, and Darby's about the same height, but Silver ragdolling his ass like a big hoss. way threw him into the turnbuckles was really cool. After the break, John Silver threw Darby into the barricade. Silver tried to crush him, but he went too fast. To like, and after Darby dodged, it, he wound up like flipping over the barricade and injuring his shoulder in the process. According to him, on Twitter, he said that he'll be out about four to six weeks. Fantastic main event in it with Darby hitting a code red. Love the respect between the two after the match. And then it goes off the air with a complete fracas with Dark Order, HFO, Darby, and Sting all kind of squaring off. And again, I'm getting kind of tired of post-match brawls in AEW. It happens almost every other time. It's probably my biggest complaint with the company is it's time for them to kind of change that entire thing. I need to see more... Like, story developments outside of, oh, hey, let's go ahead and have a giant brawl in the show. Chaos in the show. Oh, my God, we're on time! No, like, that's not working anymore. It feels like I've just seen this a million times before. Come on now, AEW, figure out something else. Now we get to Peacock, because Peacock has definitely drawn a lot of ire from fans as of late. And boy, oh boy, in some cases, it makes sense. Is Peacock is removing racist scenes, as a lot of people are saying in the headlines. They're removing scenes from classic WWE matches. In fact, removing an entire match with Roddy, pa- Roddy Piper and Bad News Brown, where he's in blackface. Yes, hear me right, blackface. They actually did this in 1990, WrestleMania 6, and now that's been completely removed from Peacock. Kind of makes sense. Vince McMahon saying the N word definitely makes sense. To remove it. But, you know, you could also hypothetically not as much remove it, but you could put a disclaimer around a lot of it. And according to sources, Peacock is reviewing the full 17,000 hours of WWE material and reporting and alerting the wrestling company to any changes. All this appeared in WWE Network's versions. It's been completely unfettered for years. But now. They're taking it, and this is very interesting. Because you think about Disney Plus and HBO Max, two other streaming services have been, you know, a little bit more kind of like light on it. They've been very soft on it with leaving it largely unedited. I know Paramount Plus is taking out a couple SpongeBob episodes, which is what it is. But more importantly, Peacock uh, seems to be more strict. Mind you, they've got a whole John Wayne Gacy, you know, documentary. But no, we got to put this stuff. it's like, you could easily just say, you know, hey, this happened at a different time. You know, things are different now. That's all you probably have to do. And it would work, I think. Because WWE has a lot of controversial stuff in there. The attitude error alone could very well just be completely missing once they put all this up. But again, it's. Frustrating to see that we're continuing to try to race the past instead of trying to say, hey, like, this stuff happened and, you know, we're going to go ahead. Like, it's not happening now. Let's go ahead and, like, use this as a learning tool as opposed to just completely sweep it under the rug, if you will. Very much frustrating. Because, again, I, NBC Universal USA Network, I mentioned this months ago, back during the pandemic, when it was really kind of hot and heavy, is that they had a, had, rush hour with a disclaimer saying hey like this stuff this was filmed in 1999 and times were different but we don't support this kind of POV now that's fine but just basically removing it entirely like if you remove some controversial moments in the attitude area basically it's like almost like the Mad TV sketch of the Sopranos on PAX TV like nobody's going to want the Peacock Network everybody's going to go do a VPN gimmick and go ahead and watch it that way because they want to see the WWE in all of its, with all of its, like, I'm trying to think of the word right now, all of its pimples, all of its moles. They want to see that. And also, I feel sorry for the intern of NBC Universal with Peacock having to watch 17,000 hours of wrestling because I'm sure most of them aren't wrestling fans and they're going to sit there watching some really crappy wrestling. And watching some really questionable things. like, I feel sorry for that person who's interning there at NBC Universal and is being told, watch these 17,000 hours of wrestling. 17,000 hours. That is a lot. I don't want to think about it. And thank goodness I'm here and not watching. Mind you, I'd love to watch all the wrestling, but my God, watching all the wrestling and having to write down notes, timestamps of, oh, hey, This guy said this, this guy said a, said a swear. Like this fan in the crowd from 1998 said the F word, not the fun F word. The other one that definitely gets a lot of people in hot water. That one definitely not a good look. Let's just put it that way. I'll go ahead and end the Cajun Strong Style podcast with a little look at UFC 260 over the weekend. We have a new UFC heavyweight champion in Francis Ngannou. And this was a damn good show, especially the main card. I didn't really bother with any of the prelim stuff because there wasn't much really meat on the bone. It's all about the main card. And shout-out to UFC for actually having a show that goes under a three-hour event because this was awesome. Because it ended about eleven fifteen. All these fights, except for one, went under the full five-minute time limit. In fact, the Sean O'Malley fight against Thomas Almedia that should have been a first-round knockout, to be honest with you. But boy, oh boy, Sean O'Malley had a walk-off knockout that looked so damn good. The he just, like, because the first round, he had him dead to rights. But somehow, some way, he was able to, like, survive until the third round with three minutes, 52 seconds into it until he got knocked down. And then Sean O'Malley was like, okay, you want to keep fighting? Boom, you're done. So damn. And, it, like, right at the gate, you had... Jamie Malarkey, make a name for himself with a really good knockout. In the 46 seconds into the first round, he caught him with one. And essentially, it looked like he pulled off a flare flop that was absolutely beautiful. So damn good from him. But I think the match of the night for me, the fight of the night, was without a doubt. I know Tyron Woodley was a a good fight with a submission finish. But I honestly liked a lot more... Miranda Maverick, I like that one a lot more. Miranda Maverick, Jillian Robertson, a really good fight that went to the decision, unanimous decision, Maverick got the win. I think we're seeing a future star in the women's flyweight division. You need to keep an eye on. Miranda Maverick had a really good fight there. But it's all about the main event. Francis Ngannou absolutely made Steve Bay look silly. The first round, these two are just throwing absolute haymakers. You're Joe Rogan and DC going nuts. And such a good fight, and at the end, Stebe gets like rocked with one, and he is his like it's like touched the back of his knee, and the dude fell like a ton of freaking bricks. So damn good. Again, loved this show from start to finish. Really good main card. I think UFC really has something going. And then I I, I was writing down my notes for UFC 260. Then I saw what I was talking about to you last week. We're going to get this damn fight, aren't we? Connor McGregor, part three in July. Dana White, please, for the love of God, I'm begging you, do not do this in July, because I guarantee you, Connor will not win that. Connor will not win that, and I am just going to be so damn frustrated to see this twice in a year. And then Connor loses. Guess what? You've got a geek. Dustin Poirier loses, you lose a number one contender. You lose a guy that could very well have another fight for the lightweight title. He deserves to be in a shot for the lightweight title. But if he loses, he's just going to be another jabron. It continues to be frustrating to me to see what's going on with the UFC and the lightweight division. It should be run by one man and one man only, and that's Dustin Poirier. Khabib should just come out of retirement so we can get this damn fight underway. I, I would love to see that sequel over trilogy part the trilogy with Conor McGregor six months after it just happened. Come on now. All right, that's gonna be about it for the Cajun Strongstyle Podcast. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing so. And make sure you leave a subscription if you haven't already. Subscribe to the podcast however you do so. And also make sure you leave us a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Appreciate that as well. Five stars, or if you're in the Tokyo Dome, six stars. Get it in. I'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody.